Hello and welcome to Shut Up and Jimmer. I am your host, Steve Pierce, joined as always by my brave and valiant co-host, Robbie McCombs. Robert, how are you this fine, fine evening? Just about when you asked me that, Steve, because you know we're in episode 10 now, so I know after you give your little welcome, you're about to ask me how I'm doing. And I need to think of more clever stuff besides, oh, I'm good and BYU lost or BYU won. I need to start working on a, something a little more clever. Keep our listeners engaged. Keep them on their toes a little bit. But I'm doing well, Steve. Thanks for asking. Well, we're like real legit podcasters now that we've made an entire 10 episodes living in the double digits. So the standard of expectations from our listeners is sure to jump. Yeah, as it should. We're, we're getting deeper and yeah. deeper into it. So hopefully we're thankful to the listeners that have listened to the first, whether this is your first episode or if you've listened to all nine, soon to be 10, we thank you. Um, we wouldn't be doing this if we didn't have listeners so always feel free to give us any feedback, anything, things you like, things you don't like, but we really appreciate all the support we've received so far. Absolutely. And as a reminder, you know, we, for those of you who may be newer to the show, I haven't, I haven't reminded the folks in a couple of weeks, Robbie, we are on all of the major podcast platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, uh, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, anything that you can think of, anywhere that you want to listen to a podcast. We are there. And so if you want to subscribe, that's great. Then you'll make sure you get the new episodes as soon as they become available straight to your phone. And if you can drop us a rating and a review, uh, particularly if you're on, uh, if you listen on the uh, podcast app on your iPhone, that is tremendous and helps us out a lot. Give us, give us five stars for, for Shut Up and Jimmer. And it really makes our lives a whole lot better. Um, so that being said, let's get into this tenth episode. Uh, a, a real what is the what is the medal for like the tenth anniversary? I guess this isn't really an anniversary, but um, you know they all have you know a, a type of material. I don't know. Is it silver? I'm, I'm not sure. Yes, silver. Let's uh, silver, bronze, uh, gold. Not the gold material yet. Um, yeah, let's say maybe bronze, and then we'll work up to silver. Maybe once we get to like fifteen or twenty. I like it. I like I like where your head's at, Robbie. Yeah. All right, so let's dive into the week. Um, I think the before we dive into the games, which BYU got two two wins this week, which uh, not wholly unexpected, but still good to see some wins uh, in the in the ledger, nonetheless. Uh, before we get into that, uh, last week we spent our entire podcast. Uh, talking about Jashir Hardnett, uh, who had at that time, uh, according to sources. Uh, who had who had talked to vanquish the foe uh, decided to leave the basketball team. He had quit the team, uh, decided that he was going to transfer away from BYU uh, and and move on in his career. Uh, we've had some news, obviously, since then. Sheer uh, Hardnet is back. Uh, he has returned uh, to the basketball team uh, after uh, a, a significant lobbying effort from uh, from the BYU coaching staff. They conv- they convinced him to. Uh, return to the team. And the reality is Jashir, he didn't have a lot of great options uh, available to him. This was kind of the best one to come back and at the at the very minimum uh, finish the season. Right, Robbie? Yeah. I mean, so we both, we both reported last week. I had heard from two separate unconnected sources close to Jashir and close to the program that Jashir was set on transferring I think you had at least that many Steve here, at least from two, three, or four people that Jashir was set on transferring. And he, you know, whether, I mean, Jashir was going to transfer. I mean, he was set on it. But I think after he returned to Provo and kind of talked to coaches or coach, uh, 
Lee Kamard specifically and talked to some people in the athletic department and admissions, I think he realized that he had to, not had to, but it was in his best interest to stay at BYU for at least the rest of the season. For first and foremost, if he he's planning on graduating in April, so say for example, just here he said, "Hey, I'm going to transfer. I'm leaving. I'm going to be a midseason transfer, which isn't." which isn't uncommon in college basketball. He could have done that after the St. Mary's game. If he would have done that, he would have not only had to sit out the remainder of this season at his new new school, but unless he would have got a waiver, he would have had to sit out the first half of next season. And considering that he would have been a redshirt senior next year, that means he only would have got the back half of his senior season at his new school, which would have been really tough just to go in conference play and try to make an impact. So I think kind of Jashir's line of thought He's going to finish out the rest of the year, maybe trying to make amends with the team. And who knows, maybe he sticks around for next year. But if not, he could earn his degree in April, and then he could be a graduate transfer, which means he'd be immediately eligible at his new school um, starting when he starts next season. And it's just, and just sure, I think part of it, he could have just not played at BYU this upcoming semester and just stayed in school but he would have been at risk of losing his scholarship because obviously he wouldn't have been on the team. So that would have kind of been another obstacle for him just to pay his own way for school. So I think with that in mind, after he sat down and a lot of people talked to him and kind of explained to him his, to his options, um, it was in his best interest just to stay with his team, try to at least put water under the bridge for the rest of this semester with Coach Rose and whoever else he has problems with. So he's here. Um, he has a broken hand right now, and I'll let you get into that, Steve, how he actually broke. Well, it's not a broken hand, his injured hand, but I'll let you kind yeah. of get into that, Steve, and add anything on top of what I said. Yeah, so he is he is back with the team. Uh, as if you watched any of the two games this week, you know, he didn't play in either of them. Uh, he dressed for one, did not dress for the second game against Santa Clara. Uh, he does have an injured hand. Uh, it is not broken, uh, so I don't want to... I don't want to start any rumors here that it is. It is not broken. Uh, he did get it uh, punching a wall in frustration, according to sources close to the program, which, you know, is not that unexpected. I think a lot of people guessed that that may have been where he got it uh, after how frustrated he was uh, during the St. Mary's game. Uh, but, yeah, he, he, he had a little incident, uh, hurt his hand. Uh, Coach Rose was on uh, BYU Sports Nation today. Um and said the injury is really located between two of the knuckles on his left hand, which is his shooting hand, which is a pretty bad injury to have uh, if you're a left-handed, if you're a left-hand dominant player. Uh, so it's not known right now um, when he will return, when he'll when he'll be able to get back on the floor, when the medical staff will clear him. It's also not known, you know, right now whether he still intends to transfer after this season, as as Robbie said. But it seems that for right now, Jashir will be on the team. Uh, willingly or unwillingly uh for the remainder of this uh remainder of this season and we'll see what happens uh afterward uh and it's been it's just been a real interesting uh week-long saga i guess and you know the coach rose has kind of chosen to play this off as as or to play dumb as i guess you you could say <laughs> well, um and pretend the whole thing kind of didn't happen yeah it, um, it's interesting because first when he put it on the rose show like he acknowledged that there was issues going on with Jashir. He didn't get into specifics. So he acknowledged that that was last Tuesday. And then last Wednesday after media where the media had um, the floor available to him to ask questions, then he played dumb. So he kind of like, he acknowledged that there was something wrong. And then he's like, Oh, what are you talking about? So, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, he's just on the team, which I mean, we're both 
happy with. We both like just year. I mean, BYU needs players that can add depth and to get into the rotation. So that's great. But I mean, Jashir was going to transfer. We didn't make things up just for the sake of making things up to get a story. But he eventually changed his mind. He's with the team now moving forward. Yeah, it was interesting. He was on uh, BYU Sports Nation today with Spencer and Jerem, as I uh, as I mentioned, and he talked about this. And he gets he gets really agitated whenever this topic comes up, the topic of Jashir potentially transferring. And uh, he he talked about that kind of seemingly uh, seeming contradiction that you that you brought up of how on his coach's show he he kind of recognized that there was something going on with Jashir and then pretended it didn't exist on Wednesday. And he his his explanation was he was talking about something completely different on the coach's show not at mm, all to do with that mm-hmm. and that people misinterpreted what he said and took these reports uh which he called half truths or complete untruths so you know essentially we were just making it up because uh, we were the only ones who really reported this mm-hmm. um and ran with it and and took it all out of context but you know whatever that's the coach speak is coach speak and and coach rose can do whatever he he needs to do uh to keep his house in order um and you know we support him doing that um it whether or not it's at our expense. Um, so anyway, that was the week. That was the week in the Jashir Hardnet uh, melodrama, which seems to thankfully and hopefully be behind us for the time being. We'll see how it turns out after the season. Uh, but there was also basketball to be played. BYU had two games this week, two victories, as we mentioned, both at home, uh, one over the University of Portland, uh, which is probably the worst team in the WCC, and then uh, the second over the Santa Clara Broncos, uh, who are not the worst team, but maybe bottom three. Um, mm-hmm. So not a great week of uh, not a great week of competition per se, but uh, two wins, and that's got to build some confidence. So in terms of what was good, because this team needed some confidence coming back, finally being at home after that after that long five game road stretch. Um, what did you see that was good out there, Robbie, this week in those two wins? Yeah. So one thing I want to see going forward, but one thing. And we've seen it for most of the season now. I mean, BYU's t- the two big guys, Yoli Childs. Yoli Childs pretty much night in, night out has been a double-double guy, 20 and 10 guy. You could pretty much count on Yoli Childs. I mean, he's been getting a lot of national love too from national guys. They recognize him as not only one of the most productive players out West, but one of the most productive players in the country. Um, I've been seeing him show up in the second round in some of the mo- the reputable mock drafts, so, I mean, which is great for Yoli personally. But more so, what I'm really encouraged to see is that TJ, he's the thing that really played him last year was inconsistency, and even his freshman season. But he's been really consistent this year, Steve, in handling the the load placed upon him. Um, he's been shooting; he's shooting about forty percent from three as last year. I think he was down to thirty one percent from three, which is pretty poor. So, I mean, once you're at that forty percent from three, especially a uh, TJ, he's not a super volume shooter, but he does shoot a lot of shots. So that's a really, for the amount of shots you shoot, to be able to shoot that percentage from three is really good. That's, that, that, that is elite level um, shooting from, mm-hmm. from distance. But he, he's been consistent pretty much all, all, most, almost all the season. Even that first game against Portland, he only had six points, but he had seven assists. And in the, the next game, he had eight assists. One thing I really liked about both those games, he had only had one turnover in each of those games. So for the games total, he had 15 assists and only two turnovers. I mean, if you're getting mm-hmm. a seven to one assist ratio for as much as TJ has the ball in his hands, I mean, that is outstanding. Um, and obviously, that's it's, you can't expect to keep that up when you play the St. Mary's, the Gonzaga's, and the San Francisco's of the WCC. But just his consistency this year has been really encouraging to me. He's been that 
really good just with the ball in his hands. He creates not only scoring points, but he, him and Yoli have really good chemistry. It seems like it's only getting better. I mean, granted, these wars against some of the, the bottom feeders of the WCC, but I think we've right. seen enough from the, the whole season that TJ is a consistent threat, which is something we didn't see last year. So that's really good. And then uh, one other thing I like, Steve, um, we've been harping it all year, and I don't think it's going to be fixed. It's just that threat of a third scorer. Um, it kind of looked like what was it the Pacific game um, and the same even the St. Mary the St. Mary's game especially it looked like TJ I mean sorry Nick Nick Embry had finally kind of turned the corner a little bit and kind of become that third scorer I mean not the threat that TJ Yoli is but he kind of seemed like he turned the, a little bit of a corner guy he could give you double digits every night but he regressed a little bit this past week um, you know he's still given a hundred percent effort in the defensive end which you could say for more than maybe anybody else on the team. But I, it doesn't seem like he's quite in night in night out. To get that guy could get you twelve points a night. But fortunately for BYU, they kind of had some random guys chip in. The uh, Thursday game against Portland, you had McKay Cannon. He stepped up. He had eleven points, four rebounds, three assists, four steals. I mean, really, probably his best game of the season. Did some really nice he played things. Really well that game. I was. I've said some not such great things about McKay Cannon. He played really well that game. Yeah, I was going to say too. I think we've been probably a little too harsh on McKay Cannon, but um, I mean, he provided some good things. He does. I mean, he brings effort in the defensive end, which I think is part of the reason he's out there. So I mean, kudos to McKay Cannon. He's doing doing what it's asked of him and even more at times. And then Steve, we got 13 points from Luke Worthington against Santa Clara. I mean, that baby hook was on fire. He was, he was, you call it the Luke Worthington game on Twitter, Steve, but yeah, no, I disagree. The Luke Worthington game came February 28th, 2015 <laughs> when Gonzaga had their 41 game home winning streak, ranked number three in the country. It was senior night. BYU went in one by three points, and Luke Worthington had this played eight minutes, zero points, zero rebounds, and five fouls. And he <laughs> gave Karnowski all he could handle. And that was the Luke Worthington game. But that aside, it was good to see some random guys chip in. And then obviously, Yoli and TJ, just the consistency they bring, BYU has to have that from them. So those are some things I was encouraged uh, with. Um, what are some things you saw, Steve? I know last week we kind of harped on BYU needs to get the young guys in there. And I think we actually kind of finally saw that come to fruition this week. Yeah, yeah, we did. And whenever, you know, whenever Luke gets that weird, it's not really a hook. It's more like a shot yeah, put it, at the rim. Yeah. Whenever he gets that going, I just all I think in my head is, is that Luke Worthington's music? <laughs> yeah, and, you, and he did not disappoint. With the Gonzaga game last year, he went like twenty points, like or eighteen. Uh, yeah, like, I think at sixteen, yeah. it was his career high. Yeah, he yeah. did great that game. But and he got close to it against Santa Clara at thirteen points. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. It was a, he he was a beast, particularly in the first half. Kind of fell apart after halftime. Not fell apart, but just you know wasn't as big a presence. Mm-hmm. But he was huge in the first half and kind of um, establishing a lead for them. Um, but yeah, we talked a lot last week um we had kind of made the assessment uh that you know this this season was kind of over um for all like real intents and purposes and that BYU should look beyond this season and stop thinking about short-term gains start thinking about setting themselves up for long-term success by playing a lot more of the younger kids the freshmen and sophomores who they're going to need uh several years down the road to kind of they need to develop them now if they want them to be good then when they really need them um 
And I, we can talk in a second of, uh, once we get through talking about these games, if we still think that's true. But the kids did get time uh, this week, which is all I'm the thing I'm most interested in at this point. Um, we saw Gavin Baxter get 10 minutes against against Portland, five minutes against uh, Santa Clara. Yeah, he did some good things, um, too. The Santa Clara game, even though he only was in there for about five minutes, he had five points, four rebounds, um, was a really, really active on both ends of the floor, had a dunk, an and one dunk, he, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he made a free throw. <laughs> he, he made he a was, free he throw. He was one of three uh, from line. See, he hit a season average, 33%. <laughs> good for Gavin. We're, we're always happy when Gavin's free throws go in. It's a little rough there, but you know, he's got a, this is the thing. This is like the whole Shaq thing, right? Uh-huh. Like if you don't take the, like you can make, Shaq would take and make hundreds and hundreds of free throws in practice and then you get it get in there in a game situation and it's just different it feels different it looks different um everything is different so gavin has to get in there and and shoot free throws in a game setting and you know in a game like you know pacific or pacific portland or santa clara it's a little bit lower stakes Hopefully BYU can give him those opportunities, and they did this week, and I thought that was really great. Uh, Rylan Bergerson also had a great week. Rylan Bergerson had seven, and he got rewarded with with time because he was just doing so much on both ends of the floor. Um, 17 minutes uh, against Portland, seven points, two rebounds, including a beautiful step back three right before the halftime buzzer mm-hmm. to beat the buzzer. That was incredible. Um, I mean, not really incredible. It's not like James Harden or anything, but for BYU, <laughs> yeah. it was pretty cool. Um and then he got 12 minutes against uh, Santa Clara, which, you know, it was a little bit tighter game throughout. So Rose was slightly more stingy with the minutes for the young guys. But kudos to Coach Rose for finding 12 minutes for Ryland Bergerson. I thought he was he was really consistent. He was doing everything. He, he had three. He only had three points, but he also had two boards, two assists. Um, he was just kind of everywhere and doing doing real positive things. So it was great to see, you know, Baxter and Bergerson really get time and show some show some nice flashes this week. And of course, Connor Harding is is Connor Harding. He's playing, you know, 20 to 25 minutes a game every night starting. Um, and you know, I think he's the farthest along in terms of development out of those three kind of the young, the younger trio of guard wing types. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's, you know, he's incredible. Uh, not so many minutes for Colby Lee this week, which I was a little bit, uh, a little bit disappointed in. only, only three minutes for, for Portland. I think he's an intriguing, kind of an intriguing talent. I don't know if he's ultimately going to have what it takes to, to really stick and be part of the long, the rotation long term. But I think, those are things we can start finding out now. So hopefully he gets more opportunity to get some run. Um, but overall, I thought it was I thought it was great for the for the kids to get some time. I thought that the performances they turned in were were promising. Um, and you know, I think that overall the team looked a little bit better this week. It's you know, Portland and Santa Clara are not very good, um, so it's easier to look a little bit better. Um, but it just looked like the offense was a little bit more fluid in the half court, a little bit more movement, a little crisper. Um, they they had 20 assists on 24 field goals versus Santa Clara, which is great. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so the ball was moving. They were finding guys, setting each other up for for buckets. That was great. Um, and they shot the ball pretty well as a team. 35% versus Portland, which isn't great, but it's better than they do normally. Yeah. Um, and then they shot 42% from deep against uh, against Santa Clara. So the the bat it was good. I think it was good to be back home. Good to have those friendly home rims. Uh, good to play in front of your your home crowd. Um, so overall, you know, I think it was a positive week. It's obviously better to win than lose. And I'm glad that we got, got the younger guys some time in the meantime. Yeah. And I kind of get the feeling, Steve, not only what we've seen this week, but kind of what we've seen throughout the season. I think outside of Gonzaga, I think BYU could beat anybody in the Marriott Center. Um, and I think even Gonzaga, I think BYU could give them a game for a half. But I think even the, like San Francisco or when St. Mary's comes to 
Provo, not this week, but the next week, I believe it is. I think BYU could be anybody at home, but it's just the gap we've seen playing at home, playing on the road. It's maybe wider than we've seen in quite a few years. So, I mean, just, I think with a lot of the young guys, you could tell they're really comfortable home guys like Ryland Bergerson, Connor Harding. I mean, speaking of Connor Harding, I think what's really encouraging with him, he's kind of found his three-point stroke. I mean, he was really struggling in the first month of the season, but now I think he's been like every game you can count him to make at least one. I think he's made one in what, like eight straight games. So, yeah. I mean, that's encouraging for if he, if he gets a consistent three-point shot, I mean, he's, he's going to be an all-conference player and, a year or two, Steve. I really believe that. Just with the size he has, with his ability to, to drive, I think he could become a better playmaker and passer. We'd hope with the size, he becomes he'd probably be a better rebounder because BYU needs him to be a good rebounder with the lack of size inside. But um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. But I'm saying I'm really excited about Connor Harding, his <laughs> his future, and um, I think he's I think in year two he's going to be an all conference player in the WCC. Absolutely. I think he has a ton of potential and it's just, it's exciting. It's, and you can see how when you get the opportunities, he was kind of forced into, you know, BYU was shuffling lineups early on. They couldn't find something that works. They put Connor Harding in there. He did well. He's gotten a lot of opportunity to play in, you know, real game minutes. And you see that kind of pay dividends. You haven't seen that as much with some of the other young guys, um, which is why I think we're advocating for for them getting more time because just having those opportunities is really important to development. Yeah. I think Connor Harding is is a great example. Yeah. And of one that. last point of that, Steve, before we kind of move on to the next point. Um, what we've seen from Carter Harding, we've seen spurts of him. Like We've seen 10-minute spurts where he looks really good. Where he'll hit a couple of threes. He'll drive to the basket, get a nice dunk. I, I kind of It's kind of similar to, I feel like, Yoli's freshman year where Yoli, you kind of saw the spurts in non-conference play. And it was really until, like, I think that conference game, if you remember his freshman year at San Francisco, I think he had, like, he had a double-double. I think he put up, like, 18 points and 14 rebounds. And it was that game, you know, man, Yoli Childs is going to be special. So I'm waiting for that game for Carter Harding where he has a full, complete game. Because, like I said, we've seen spurts of him. Mm-hmm. And they've been really good spurts. But I think, and I'm hoping, it's a matter of time before we see that game from Carter Harding where he puts together a night where he has 19 points, six rebounds, and four assists. Just like, man, he's going to be really good. Just kind of what we saw with Yoli a couple years ago. And I'm hoping we see it. I think we could definitely see it in the coming weeks maybe we not expect it and just be like man this this is the future right there yeah yeah i don't remember yoli as a freshman yoli before we move on yoli childs that guy's incredible i mean <laughs> yeah i know we we kind of just like gloss over it every week because uh, it does uh, the 20 same. points 12 he rebounds. scores 20 yeah 20 and 20 and 12 <laughs> yeah. 25 and 12 like every week but uh that's incredible what that guy's doing is is great and somebody posed the question to me on twitter this week what would this season look like had yoli childs decided to go pro oh, um, oh boy. last summer <laughs> It would it would be extremely extremely oh. rough. Like it's been pretty tough already, but it would have been an extremely rough season. Um, so I guess be thankful that Yoli Childs came yeah, back no and kidding. we got to, we get to watch what he's doing right now because he's he's been incredible. Um, in terms of what was bad, there's not a lot bad you can take from you know a week with two home wins by double digits over bad teams. Um, I think the big one that I uh, you you touched on already is is just the the lack of a third a consistent third option. Um, I think Jashir being out. Uh, obviously, we talked about this last week when we thought he was going to be out permanently, um, out with injury now temporarily. Um, they really miss Jashir. They miss his presence. They miss that change of pace uh, coming off the bench. They miss every thing he brings as a as a third option who's a pretty consistent threat um 
they were fortunate this week that they kind of got big performances by Cannon on Thursday and then Worthington unexpectedly on Saturday, uh, who gave you, you know, 10 to 15 points each. Uh, that's, I don't think, particularly sustainable, uh, especially against good teams. We can't, you can't rely on, on McKay Cannon and Luke Worthington to be your third best scorer. Um, you know, against St. Mary's or Gonzaga or San Francisco, and they play through. They play all three of those teams in their next four games. Um, so this is they're coming into another tough stretch here. They're going back out on the road next week. Um, and there, there remains an open question of who that third score is going to be. And you know, we've talked before. The natural person to fill that role is Nick Emery, and you mentioned this as well. Um, he just hasn't, he hasn't been consistent when, as soon as you think that he's, that he's, you know, ready to step in offensively, he's always consistent defensively, which is, is his greatest quality. But as soon as you think he's ready to step in offensively and be that third scorer and, and be the guy who's there every night to, you know, get you 10 to 15 a game, uh, he has a week like he had this week where he just doesn't look confident, doesn't look like he's in rhythm on that side of the, that side of the ball. And, you know, he had six points against Portland, a, a really bad team. Uh, and no, he didn't score at all against Santa Clara um, in a game where BYU scored quite a few points. Uh, and it just it's not even that he's shooting poorly. It's just he doesn't seem to be... The team's obviously not hunting for looks for him. He doesn't seem to be super into looking for his own shot, um, which is fine. You want him to play you know, seamlessly and, and within the flow of the offense. But I, I just I think folks expected... And, and Dave talked about this a little bit today on, on BYU Sports Nation, talked about you know, Nick kind of coming back in and trying to feel his way out and how he just, he's trying, he's still in the process of trying to figure out how he fits uh, within this team. And I think, you know, especially with Jashir, we don't know how long Jashir is going to be out with that hand injury, but if it's going to be any longer, um, particularly as the schedule gets tougher again, these next two weeks, three weeks, um, I think you're going to need more from Nick uh, than we've been seeing. And it's, it's, I, I don't know that it, I don't know that that's going to come. Uh, I don't know. It's going to come in the next few weeks. Yeah. And I think, I think other than, I think that was really the only, I guess, bad concerning thing you could say from this week. I didn't really see it into the thing concerning that stood out. It's just kind of those overarching and lingering things that we've discussed all season with road performance, with consistent defensive effort, consistent defensive shooting. I mean, sorry, consistent three-point shooting, defensive three-point shooting, um, which kind of leads to the next point of where does this leave us this season? So BYU's 3-1 in the WCC, and BYU's got a pretty... The BYU's got a tough stretch ahead, Steve, and I think this next four-game stretch will kind of really pin down where BYU is at in the WCC pecking order. I mean, we know right now Gonzaga is the number one team. Um, Portland's probably the worst team. But other than that, San Francisco looks like the second best team. Um, St. Mary's mm-hmm. looks like the third best team. But I think it's still a little early to establish that set in stone outside of Gonzaga. So the stretch coming ahead, this upcoming week, BYU's got at Pepperdine. I and mean, we've known all the fun times. They always play good at Pepperdine. If you can count BYU to win somewhere, they win at Pepperdine, Steve. It's with Jake always, Welch in attendance. Always, every year. No, I've, I've, every year, Jake is Jake is loves watching a good BYU yeah, victory at but Pepperdine. Hey, last year, BYU actually won, snapped a four-game losing streak. So maybe, I mean, granted, Pepperdine won like, won, like what, six games last year? So They were not no, good. They were, they were not good. And I think we did we win in overtime? It was very sure close. Was. That's all yeah, I remember. Every single Pepperdine game goes the same. I'm, I've been to two of them. I went. I tried to make an annual trip. I won't go this year. But it's literally the same game every year, Steve. It's close the whole way. It's back and forth. And then 
they Pepperdine makes some threes at the end and they win by three points. I mean, it's an ugly game. Literally the same exact story every year except last year. But uh, but then after Pepperdine, it's a good team, but a place. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Steve. Has BYU ever lost at San Francisco? Did we? Did BYU lose last year? Maybe uh, once. If, maybe once. They, but normally they play really good on this. It's always a le- it's, whether it's Matt Carlino going off, Jake Toulson going off, or Nick Emery's. I think he had his career high there. It seems like there's somebody. They made 11 threes in a yeah, game. There's there, someone that hits that goes off for 35 points at San Francisco. I I don't know what it is about San Francisco, but there's always somebody that has a career game at San Francisco and. Is going to need someone to have a career game at San Francisco. I think if they want to pull it off, we'll get into that more in a minute. But then after that, that's this week. And then the week after that, BYU's got St. Mary's. That's the only game they have that week. And then after that, Gonzaga. And those latter two games are at home. So I think, I think Steve, I think this is where we'll find out BYU's in the WCC pecking order. And this year in particular, more than past years, that number two seed, which I don't think BYU will get, but BYU's still in play for if they could pull the upset against San Francisco. The number two seed is especially important this year because you get that double bye into the semifinals of Mm -hmm. the WCC tournament, which I mean, for a team like BYU this year, that could lose to anybody. That's huge for anybody that gets that. Because I think teams two through eight, I think anybody can be anybody on a given night. So if whoever gets that two seed in the WCC tournament, if you get a double bye all the way to the semis, I mean, that's huge for a chance to play Gonzaga in the finals. So, I mean, we'll find out this week. Um, where BYU kind of stands at games at Pepperdine. I mean, talent-wise, BYU probably should beat him, but, I mean, Pepperdine's been playing well, Steve. Um, so, I mean, is that what do you kind of is that kind of where you see... Do you see this four-game stretch the same way, Steve? Do you think this this will kind of tell us, hey, is BYU... Can they compete for the two-seed, or is BYU the third, fourth, maybe fifth or sixth best team if they go one or three, oh, and four in this stretch? Yeah, it's going to be real illuminating. I mean, these are tough, tough games at Pepperdine. You know, always lose, lose at Pepperdine, no matter how good or bad Pepperdine is. At USF, who's arguably the second best team so far in the in the league, and then obviously St. Mary's and Gonzaga always fights. Um, we're going to find out real quick whether this past week, where they get you know the two wins and they're sitting three and one in conference, we're going to find out real quick whether that's whether that's fool's gold um, and whether you know. Everyone, I think everyone feels a little bit better. It's always it's always easy to feel better once you get home and get a couple wins under your belt. Mm-hmm. Sitting at three and one in second place in conference, you know everyone feels better about life. The reality is, is three of those teams came against three of those wins came against the three worst teams in the in in the yeah. league. Um, and one was on the road at, at Pacific, and that was a real squeaker that shouldn't have been a squeaker. Um, and then the other game that they lost, they got absolutely obliterated by St. Mary's on the road. Um, so. I don't think that BYU fans should have any illusions about where this team is. I still think this team is a very flawed, flawed, <laughs> flawed is a good word, a very flawed team. Um, and I think we may see that get exposed anew for us over the next couple of weeks. Um, I still think that this is this should this is a long term prospect now. And I think even though we're going to go and play in these tough games, I still think we need to be thinking about the future. We still need to be mm-hmm. looking long term. We still need to be getting young guys minutes, even though, you know, it may be at, a you know, at San Francisco against a really good team. I think those are great opportunities for guys to learn. Um, and I don't really think the difference between, you know, the three seed and the six seed in the WCC tournament this year is that big of a deal because I don't honestly think that this BYU team can go on a run mm-hmm. and win and win the WCC tournament anyway maybe they could and maybe I'll this I'll be totally disproven and I will be the first person if I am dispro- if all of this is disproven in March I'll be the first person to say I was an idiot and be the happiest person in the world but it's it's I just think it's a it's a tough year for this team um and I don't see I don't I don't see 
the wisdom of prioritizing short-term potential gains for the longer-term uh, success. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if BYU gets the second, I mean, outside the first and second seed, like you said, three through six, it's it's all the same. And especially, I think any team in those range, it's really minimal. Anyone could be anybody, especially the team like Gonzaga up top. It, they're going to win the conference tournament anyways. So like you said, I still think BYU needs to keep that in mind of just have the future look. And we kind of saw that this week, but I think this week will be more telling how Dave Rose views this season. And if he plays McKay Cannon and Luke Worthington 30 minutes a night, then it's like, okay, he's still trying to win now, which granted, BYU should try to win every game. Dave Rose should try to win. But if we see maybe those guys get a fewer minutes and guys like Gavin Baxter get 10 plus minutes a game, maybe we see Ryland Bergeson, his minutes go to 15, 20, even Colby Lee get five minutes a night. Then I think we'll kind of get an idea that okay, Dave Rose is obviously still trying to win games. He's not going to bench Yoli Childs or TJ Haas. But like you mentioned, he still kind of has that forward look. And with the forward looks, we'll kind of get a taste of that this week. The first game we have um, is at Pepperdine. And we mentioned all the many woes BYU's had at the Firestone Firestone Arena. That that arena is so small, Steve. I mean, every arena is small, but it's it's like almost all BYU. I've been there twice. It's almost all BYU fans. They have has their student section and literally outside their student section, it's 90% BYU fans. Uh, all those Southern California <laughs> fans come out. So it is a cool arena. I mean, it's I, I don't like the comparison to high school gyms, but I mean, it has that feel to it. Like you just kind of walk through those double doors and then you're literally right in the gym. So it is like really cool. It's a really intimate atmosphere. Um, and then a little bit about the waves. So they're nine and nine so far this season, two and two in conference play. Um, their new coach, Lorenzo Romar, he used to be the coach at University of Washington. He had a lot of success there, really good recruiter. Um, and they've been good so far in WCC play, Steve. I mean, like I mentioned, they're two and two. They're coming off a win at San Diego. And as, as you know, San Diego is a really good team. Yeah, tough. they're a tough team, especially to do that at, on the road. Hard to win in the Slim it Gym. Uh, Jenny Craig Pavilion. Um, and then they beat LMU by 15. LMU's 13 and four in the year. And then their two losses, they lost to San Francisco and Santa Clara by three points each. And we know how good San Francisco is. So, I mean, even in their two losses, they've been really close. And as far as tempo-wise, we expect to see their, they're the second fastest team tempo-wise, and which is expected from a Lorenzo Romar team, the second fastest tempo team after BYU. So expect to track me. I mean, which kind it is with them. They always play fast. I expect a game in the high 70s, probably even the 80s with that tempo. Um, and then their best player is a guard, Colby Ross. He did well last year as a freshman against BYU. So he's kind of the guy to watch. Mm-hmm. He's really good. They got some good young guys. And then the uh, second game, we touched on San Francisco already. I mean, before that Gonzaga, if the Gonzaga game, I think Joe, Lar- Joe Lenardi had San Francisco, one of his last four teams in the tournament. They didn't do a they didn't beat many good teams in non-conference play, but they took care of business. They're 14 and three, two and one um, comp- in conference play, four top 50 and Ken Palm. Um, did you, I don't know if you watched that Gonzaga game uh, this past Saturday, Steve, but they were, they lost by 13, but that was super misleading. They had the lead, I, I believe with, they're down three with like I think, two or it was tied. They like had a one left. point lead, I believe with under three minutes left. And then it kind of got the wheels kind of fell off in the last two minutes and they kind of got in the foul game, hence the final margin, but they were, they played tough with Gonzaga the whole way. I mean, they easily could have beat Gonzaga. Um, 
So their coach, Kyle Smith, he's been there a few years now. He was a St. Mary's assistant for 10 years. And you could see a lot of that. They don't play exactly like St. Mary's, but they use a lot of the principles with their with their mm-hmm. half court, just how disciplined they are in the half court. On defense, they're not going to try to force turnovers. They're just going to try to play discipline, stay in front of you. You kind of see that. So, I mean, their guards are really good. Frankie Ferrari, he's an all-conference player. He's just a really creative guy. Um, just he's really good passer, just really good with the ball. And their leading scorer, Charles Midland, he's a sophomore. He averages 15 a game. He's their leading scorer. So they have really good guards. So I think this is an especially important game for um, Nick Emery to kind of his defense. I think we see a lot of McKay Cannon because he's a pretty good defender. Um, really, the only weakness is they're not a great three-point shooting team. They're, in the, they're I think, 207th in the NCAA. So that's one thing BYU could exploit. But as we've seen, when BYU plays decent teams, Teams team just tend to shoot well in BYU. So, I mean, do you have anything to add on those teams, Steve, before we kind of get into predictions? I mean, we kind of already touched on them a little bit and what they bring. Yeah. Yeah, my uh, my favorite player on San Francisco has always been Frankie Ferrari's cousin, uh, Polly Porsche. <laughs> he's he's uh, he's also a real a real great yeah, baller. Yeah, he knows uh, how to play. <laughs> he knows how to do it. But, you know, these are both, you know, these are both dangerous, dangerous games for BYU. I think that, you know, we've talked a lot about the the history with Pepperdine. They're, they're a different team this year. Lorenzo, Lorenzo Romar was a really big get for them. Yeah. Um, not that Marty Wilson, who was the coach before, wasn't a good coach. He was. Uh, but the... Coach Rose talked about that today on on BYU Sports Nation. It's a little bit of a different uh, different identity for them. They've kind of been a great defensive team uh, for a long time. Gave BYU a lot of a lot of uh, problems when we went down there uh, this year. They're like you mentioned, the tempo was up. They're they're scoring. They're they're moving the ball around um, and and playing fast. So it'll be real interesting to see a, a little bit of a different Pepperdine team. And San Francisco, I've watched them a couple times so far this year. They're the real deal, folks. I mean, I'm I'm I am the lead San Francisco. Every year, it seems like everybody says this is the year we'll San Francisco three non-conference play and they'll finish sixth in the WCC. Exactly. Every year at the beginning of the season, this is the year of San Francisco. And every year I say, I believe it when I see it. And it never happens. This is the year that it happened. They're good. They're very good. Frankie Ferrari is a heck of a player. Uh, Kyle Smith knows what he's doing. They're a very good team. And in terms of predictions, if I was going to predict what's going to happen this week, I'm predicting that BYU is going to lose both these games because I have not seen that I have not seen BYU prove to me that they can win on the road. The only game they've won on the road is at Pacific, which they had a 23-point lead at halftime because they literally shot their brains out in the first Mm -hmm. half, and then they barely held on uh, because they were just horrible in the second half. So I'm going to assume that BYU probably isn't going to shoot the best they've shot all year in both of these games in the first half and give themselves such a big cushion they literally can't lose the game no matter how much they try. And I'm going to project that they probably lose both of these games. I think the Pepperdine game will probably be a dogfight just because it always is there. Um, and we have a unique knack for for finding ways to lose at Firestone Fieldhouse. Um, and I actually think the USF game is not going to be close. I think it's going to be like most of BYU's games against good teams. Like think back to the St. Mary's game. BYU hung around for 10 or 15 minutes uh, in the first half. And then the wheels just kind of fall off. And, and you know, in a, in a road environment, it's going to be tough. Um, against a team that probably is more is 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 more polished than we are right now. I don't know that they're more talented, but they they figured out how to play together and they have a system that works for them. Uh, I think this. I just think that's going to win out uh, in the long run. What do you see? Yeah, I 
I might change my mind as I'm speaking, Steve. Um, I think I come. I th- oh boy, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, where are we going? It's yeah, who, I don't even know where I'm going. I'm just going to start talking, Steve. But no, um, I think I do see it the same way as you. The one thing about Pepperdine, Pacific was just a bad matchup for BYU. Even though they were small, they just they just crashed the rim like no one else. Like their life depends on it. They just crashed the rim like crazy. Um, so I mean, Pepperdine. I mean they. They attempt style wise, they should play into BYU's hands. I mean, an up and down game. Um, and I think eventually, I mean, BYU does every game except Gonzaga. BYU is going to have the best player on the floor. Yoli Childs is the best player on the floor. And more than 50% of the time, TJ Haas is going to be the second best player on the floor. The problem is everybody else. You don't know what you're going to get for them. But it should, in theory, when you have the two best players on the floor, your team should win more often than not. So originally, Steve, I said, I wrote down, BYU is going to lose to Pepperdine. But as I'm, I think BYU is going to beat Pepperdine, Steve. And I'm going to, I know BYU is going to lose now because I was every year, oh, BYU is finally going to win at Pepperdine. (laughs) And then Stacey Davis has 30 points or last year they have a six win team and they, whatever. I think BYU is going to beat Pepperdine, Steve. I think style wise, I think just because BYU has the two best players in the game. I think Colby Ross is really good for Pepperdine, but I think TJ Haas is better than him. So I think talent wins out. I think BYU wins a close one over Pepperdine. But against San Francisco, I kind of see it similar to you. Even with all the historical success BYU has had at San Francisco, um, they're a really good team, like you mentioned. They have, they have a lot of players that that are good. They, I mean, they have their two top guards, but they have a lot of depth, a lot of guys that could do different things. So I expect probably about a 10 to 12 point loss in that one, maybe play tight for the first half, but San Francisco eventually just their style wears BYU out. So I'm going to go optimistic, Steve, as optimistic as I can be. I think BYU splits. I think for whatever reason, I don't know why I'm picking BYU to win at Firestone Fieldhouse. I think BYU beats Pepperdine, but loses to San Francisco. So that is my prediction. I, I was just going with it. And that's, that's, that's what I'm, that's what I'm, that's what I'm sticking with Steve. One and one. From your mouth to, to God's ears, Robbie. From your mouth to yeah. God's ears. I will I will say that if if BYU is gonna win at Pepperdine, if I if I was going to be almost convinced to go with you on that, I think that the real key, especially in a game that's gonna get up and down, just sure hard it has to play. That hand has to get healed, he has to be able to use it effectively, and he has to play. I think he's absolutely key for them to win kind of a track meet in Malibu like yeah, that one. I, I thought you were gonna say the real key is Jake Welch needs to not be in attendance, but that's also <laughs> the case that, too. But I agree. I think this is the type of game Jasher can excel in. We saw him play really good in the Pacific game because Pacific didn't have any size. So he struggles when guy teams have a good has size inside, he tends to get blocked a lot. But I think a team like Pepperdine, I think that's the type of game he could do well in. And I'm not sure if he's up to it yet. But yeah, like you said, if he's good to go, even 85%, that will provide a boost for BYU off the bench. Absolutely. Well, we'll see how it goes. I think this could be, uh, it it was nice to be at home. It was nice to have a couple wins this week. But I think this could be the beginning of a, a descent into another uh, another couple game losing streak, which I'm fearful of. I, I hope that that's not the case. I hope that these are it's really a, these wins are really a sign that we're turning things around, and that you know there's going to be a, there's there's hope going into these these tough games here. Uh, but I haven't seen it yet. But I remain hopeful. I know you remain hopeful too, Robbie. Uh, f- folks out there. 
follow us on Twitter if you want to, especially during the games, if you want to jump in and see what we're thinking as, as things progress. I've got nothing but all caps jokes for you. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Robbie is at, at RT McCombs. I am at, at Post Jimmer. Um, and, you know, as always, we'll be watching the games right alongside you, cheering for our Cougars. And we will be back next week with more Shut Up and Jimmer. And until then, go Cougars. Go Cougars.